Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trainer Talks and Tales. I'm Tess, and I'm joined by Daisy. Hi, Tess. Hi, everyone. Tess, we're a bit sad as this is actually going to be our last podcast episode for the year, as we are going to be taking a little bit of a short break over the Christmas period. Tess, what have you got planned for Christmas this year? Uh, I actually am going away with my family to Mooloolaba next week, which might sound ridiculous, uh, ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous because, uh, you know, you work at Mooloolaba every day, but that's our um, family location. We love to go there every year. So week there with the fam um, and then, yeah, just lots of Christmas family hangouts surrounding those big days. Um, and I'm working Christmas Day, but I absolutely love working Christmas Day. So I'm more than happy to um, get paid to eat a lot of food and chill out with some animals. Yeah. Um, but what about you? I know you're heading up to the UK, so you must be so excited. Yes, I am so excited. We are recording this, what is today, Monday. And Wednesday, I fly back home to England. Um, but I'm actually stopping, we're stopping in Dubai. So we've got three days in Dubai and I am so excited to ask because the only reason we are stopping in Dubai is so that we can go to the brand new SeaWorld Abu Dhabi that opened back in May this year. So I am just like so excited to see the facility. It looks incredible. We've booked to meet the walruses. We've booked to meet the sea otters. So we're absolutely going to be spending the whole day there. So I will definitely give everyone a bit of an update on the day that we have at SeaWorld when we get back to recording. Um, And then, yeah, I'm going home to see all my family. So I haven't spent Christmas at home in about seven years, I don't think. So it's been a little while. So we normally go home during the summertime. Um, so yeah, we've got so many Christmas activities planned. There is currently about a 40% chance of snow. So I'm crossing fingers and toes that I get to see some snow this year because that'll be pretty special. Oh my gosh. I was going to say I'm excited to see a walrus and otter content, but yeah, I'm excited to see a snowy content as I'm sitting and sweating on on Christmas Day. I'll be thinking of you all rugged up. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what, 35 degrees here in Queensland at the moment. And my brother texted me this morning saying it's about minus six degrees there. So it's going to be a little bit of a change. But yeah, it's going to be so much fun. And I'm just so excited to see the family. Oh, it's going to be great for you. Well, I'm really excited about this episode. But firstly, we'd like to say a really huge thank you to every single one of you that has supported us the last six months um it's just been so much fun and we are just so grateful for you guys and thank you so much for listening yeah absolutely we cannot thank you all enough and as well another big thank you to every single guest that's come on we've had the opportunity to talk about so many different topics and so many different species and it's got both Tess and I really excited for next year too yeah there's so much more to address I feel like every day we message each other like we should do that next year yeah Yeah. so yes so much more (laughs) we're inspired yeah 
Now, um, before we get into it too, we thought it would be kind of cool to discuss our years a little bit. Um, so, you know, hang in there, guys. We'll get into the episode shortly, we promise. But this is quite exciting. I'm keen to talk about this. We thought we'd go through some of our wins at work um, and any achievements. So, Daisy, do you want to go through any wins that you've had um, at work? Yeah, absolutely. This this year has been like such a really big year, I guess, for me and like my career. So I'm really proud of some of the things I've been able to achieve so far. Um, so definitely like one of the highlights at the very start of the year was me getting my bridge, um, which is the whistle that we utilize for training the seals. Um, and I've been able to spend a lot of time advancing my training concepts with the seals and developing the presentations, which is obviously something I really enjoy too. So I'm really grateful to have had so much seal time this year and really had the opportunity to develop my skill set a little bit more. Uh, another thing that I really wanted to achieve was to be able to have another successful breeding program with our penguins. And we did have another penguin chick that hatched out earlier this year that we spoke about at the start of the podcast recordings. Um, so her name was Blueberry. So she's doing so well. She's participating in all of our training sessions now. And she's such a confident little um, penguin. So she has definitely been another highlight for me. I've also had the opportunity to start training my first behavior with one of the seals. Uh, so her name is Saturday and I'm training a head shake, no behavior. Um, so that's been really great. It's been a really good challenge. She is one of the seals that only has one eye. So I've had to take into uh, consideration a lot of different things when training that behavior and some factors uh, that might be limiting to Saturday with the fact that she only has one eye. So that's been really cool to learn. And I'm you know hopefully going to continue to develop that into the new year. And then finally, I think my absolute highlight of the year has got to be the conference like the ASAK conference that both Tess and I talk about way too much um has just been such a highlight for me Jess and I who we spoke to in our second episode we presented our little blue penguin husbandry training program that we've developed with the team over the last year or so um and can have continued to develop we actually only a couple of days ago had a really exciting meeting about some of the things that we want to focus on in the new year and some of our new training concepts that we're going to put into play. Um, so being able to present that to a group of people that are so incredibly passionate and people that I look up to every single day without a doubt and to walk away with winning the best presentation of the conference is something I think about every single time, every single day, honestly. Um, and it makes me really proud of what we've done and makes me a bit teary sometimes when I think about it. But like, I could not, yeah, I couldn't say anything else with more of a highlight than that. Yeah, that's an absolute winner for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah, very lucky to have had a really good year. Um, lots of wins and excited for 2024 for sure. Um, but what about you, Tess? Let's hear all about it. Um, well, every year, actually, I try to sit down with my team and we write some training goals uh, for the year. And I think it's good, you know, it keeps you accountable. So I actually had this year's goals like pinned up right there so that we could look at every day. And in other years, I have had it at the back of a diary and then we like, tick through it at the end I'm like oh yeah I never did that but there now it's like sitting there staring at us all yeah so we've been ticking them off one by one and I very proudly can save all the oh I'd have to quickly count them all the 15 things um there's only one that we didn't tick off um and another one we we tried and it, it didn't work but you know that's just how it is um, so some of them included um, removing Jesses for a number of our birds. So for those that don't know raptors, Jesses are the little leather straps that hang off their little anklets and you can hang on to them uh, for security. 
So uh, we removed that from all our birds and that just means that when they're free flying over people's heads and getting, you know, so close, there isn't Jess's whacking people on the head um, and we can just have them land on our glove and secure them with little easy slip-on Jess's if we need to. Um, I wanted to have a, a nest log for our barking owls um, to utilize. So we've got that and we're in the process of training them to go into it. So people know the importance of nest logs. We've got a few new birds that we're bringing into the show. I have um, two of our kite species, our brahmini and our black kite now flying simultaneously, which is so cool. That's amazing. They're very, yeah, very different species. You've got the brahmini that um, will fly quite low and rake fish off the surface and then a black kite up in the um, up in the sky, like doing its thing. So to have them fly at the same time looks so cool. Um, I wanted to do some sound training in the show so um we do sound training with our barn house we do um, in the show sometimes we're doing more drone with our falcons so we started taking them to the local park um having them chase the drone um yeah just so many different things that i wanted to do and we've ticked them all off um the, the only failure i should say was um we have a 25 year old wedge tail eagle who was hit by a car who I wanted to try um, to see if he would be interested in um, sitting on a customer's glove. And I, I tried it a few times and he was uncomfortable. And I was like, oh, look, like he hasn't done this for 25 years. Like it's a big ask for him to do it now. So it was one of those things I was like, oh, look, that's easy. We'll just cross it off. We tried um, and I'm fine with that. So yeah, I'm actually really proud of everything a whole team has achieved. So it's it's been a great year and I can't wait for next year. Yeah, that's so yeah. good. Congratulations to you and all your team. And I feel like we've heard like bits and bobs about your job and like some of your wins throughout the recordings of the podcast too. So I'm so excited for what you guys are going to be able to achieve next year too. True. Yeah, watch the space. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? We are absolutely going to go out with a bang today as we have such an amazing conversation for you all. Chris is joining us and he is one of the herp keepers at Taronga Zoo. He's also the species coordinator for Komodo Dragons. He's the president at the ASZK, as well as a bit of a field research nerd. Yeah. And, you know, as we say, um, <clears throat> Daisy and I aren't reptile gals, but we love this episode. So even if you aren't a reptile person, um, we highly recommend listening to it because it was a really engaging chat. Um, Chris has so many years of knowledge and experience. And it was just really a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Absolutely. Let's get into it, Tess, for the last time this yeah. year. Last step. Enjoy. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. We are both so excited to have you on Trainer Talks and Tales and really interested to get started into this conversation as well. But in case you don't know, we do always start our episodes with Fast Five just to break the ice and have a little bit of fun. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right, let's go. Question number one, Komodos or iguanas? Oh, it's got to be Komodos. That was definitely tailored to me. <laughs> uh, Lord Howe Island or Christmas Island? Ooh, um, 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 okay, Christmas. Christmas. Okay, raptors or penguins? Raptors. <sighs> Damn it. Nice. Chocolate or lollies? <laughs> uh, let's go snake lollies. And finally, Queensland or Victoria? Oh, it's got to be Queensland. Absolutely. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Good answers. Good answers. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I put the penguins or raptors one so that you could pick between Daisy and myself. <laughs> no. Oh, that's political. <laughs> <laughs> it's because last time we had someone who came on and said penguins were their favorite animal and Tess got a bit upset. So yeah. <laughs> she, she's got to have it's one touchy. back. <laughs> well, hopefully we've even the score today. Yeah, for sure. Have. All right. Well, Chris, first of all, thanks again for joining us. Um, we know you're a very busy man and it's that hectic time of year, November, December, where it's very hard to pin anyone down. So really grateful for you for joining us. We spoke about getting on the podcast at the ASZK conference we chatted at last a few months ago. So I'm really glad that we actually stuck to our word. As you know, we love to start uh, every episode by getting to know our guests a little bit better can you start by telling us a little bit how you got into the industry and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. So my path into the industry is probably very, very similar to the vast majority. I studied a little bit after school and then went down the volunteering path. Um, so I couldn't get enough of that. Um, and in doing so, I ended up volunteering at a couple of places at the same time. And luckily, scored a bit of paid casual work at, at a couple of places at the same time too. So I started my career at the Australian Reptile Park just an hour north of Sydney. Um, I know a lot of people have, have started out there. They seem to churn out, you know, high volumes of pretty good keepers. So I've got a bit of a soft spot and I've ended up living only about five minutes away from the front door of the Australian Reptile Park. So it's always going to have a soft spot in my heart. And then I, I got a bit of work down at Taronga Zoo too. Uh, this probably takes me back to 2009. I started getting a bit of casual work through a few different a few different divisions there. And uh, since then, ended up working a couple of different places uh, at Wildlife Sydney Zoo. And during the construction phase of what used to be called Devil Ark and is now Aussie Ark up in the Barrington Tops. Um, so that wasn't animal keeping, but I was just sort of fencing and digging ditches and concreting. I've finally landed some full-time uh, work at Taronga Zoo uh, and I've been there in full-time since 2013. Nice. like That's awesome that you've done a variety of different stuff too, a lot of facilities. Um, yeah, and lots of cool stuff there. And it sounds like Taronga is a pretty good gig too. Yeah, yeah, I'm very happy there. Um, I, I feel very lucky. Uh, still a fair bit of imposter syndrome, I think, in the <laughs> in the team that I'm in, uh, in the reptile division. And um, with the keepers that I, I work with, I feel super lucky and been involved in some pretty cool projects over the years too. So like you said, you're part of the herp team at Taronga Zoo. How, like, what does a day in the life kind of look like for a herp keeper? Uh, well, again, I'm sure everyone's going to say this answer, but every day is very different. Um, there's no two days that are the same. So um, we've got a reasonable size collection and, and a decent size team as well. So our team looks after seven different uh, species recovery programs, all kept in varying degrees of uh, quarantine off display. So that occupies a few keepers. Um, and then there's a few of us looking after the main display collection too. So you know, anything from enclosure cleans, feeds, um, trying to breed some animals, trying to redo some habitats, um, training, conditioning, medicating, all the fun things, talks and demonstrations, uh, and keeping it super varied with a good number of species and a good diversity of enclosures too. Yeah, nice. I feel like um, whenever you look at a reptile keeper, you always underestimate 
how many like different species they have and how many different you know habitats they have and I always like look over and they're like hustling to the next thing and that kind of stuff so I imagine it's yeah it's a pretty busy section the old reptile section <laughs> for sure yeah it, it seems to be a lot of little habitats so um, you know, we've got 50 public displays and, and each one is its wow. own little microclimate. And then um, and then all the animals off display and all the animals in the quarantine facilities too. So there's there's a lot going on, but it's often lots of small habitats and lots of small routines, um, but super niche and very tailored to the animal that, that we're looking after too. So keeps us on our feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I feel sure. like sometimes the um, raptor keepers don't get enough credit because it can range from like a tortoise to a venomous snake. Like there's such a variety of different species that you could be working with and such a different array of diets as well and sort of habitat environments that you've got to be considering too. Yeah, True. definitely. And, and in all of those, I mean, just as important as looking after the the feeding and the um, the nutrition of the animal is looking after the life support. So the, you know, heating or water quality or uh, humidity, everything like that. So, again, each enclosure has its own little needs and uh, daily maintenance. Um, and I should clarify too, I keep saying reptile keeper, but I've unfortunately left out the, the amphibians. We, we're we <laughs> herb keepers, so we look after both reptiles and amphibians. Um, that was us, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I think it's me. I say it every time, um, so I do need to clarify it. No, well, credit where credit's due, all herb keepers, um, yeah, they have an array of different species and, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff to look out, um, look out for. Absolutely. Well, uh, we had a bit of a stalk of your Facebook, as we do, and we've figured out that you're a Komodo man. So you're the Komodo Dragon Species Coordinator and have been for a fair few years. Can you explain what the role entails? Yeah, I can. So... Again, I feel really lucky with this program. They've got to be one of the most iconic reptiles anywhere in the world, let alone in zoos in Australia. Um, so somehow it's landed in my lap. And uh, so being a species coordinator, it's essentially a, a contact who is responsible for the ensuring that the, the region, so Australasia, has enough of the right demographics and genetics. So not only, you know, all the Komodo dragons that every zoo in the country wants, but making sure that they're right dragons. So the there's a right age pyramid. We've got to have, you know, young animals coming through, whether that's through breeding in country or whether it's importation. Uh, and making sure that we've got animals that are compatible with each other and all being managed correctly and always uh, challenging our own husbandry and welfare and, and how we can continue to improve. I love that. Like, I think species coordination is something that I'm super interested in. It's such a cool role that I don't think is often spoken about enough and like the important, like, important role that you play, I guess, in the breeding and management of an animal across such a wide area. Do you find it quite rewarding doing it? I do find it really rewarding. Um, I think the importance for species coordinators, at least in our region, for exotic animals, is that they seem to be a little bit more... Uh, relied upon for recruitment of animals. So right across North America and Europe, there's loads of zoos all holding exotic animals and all, you know, 20 minutes down the road from each other. That's probably an exaggeration, but they're, they're more densely packed than what we have here in Australia, particularly for exotic species. So, and because importation is generally super expensive to come to Australia, just because we're as far from anywhere as we can be, um, it means that when we do get animals here, We've got a bit of responsibility to ensure that we're maintaining that species sustainably within the country. So 
Um, we don't keep dipping into the wild and, and grabbing new Komodo dragons out of Komodo National Park, but we do uh, occasionally rely on importation from North America or from Europe um, or some other sources as well. So um, if we're not on top of it and we're not always ensuring that we've got the right animals with the, the right genetics and, and, and at the right point of their longevity, then very quickly we might end up losing all the animals here because they've all reached old age without any attempt at breeding. And um, it means that we need to then find another avenue for an, another very costly importation. So it really is about providing the zoos in this country, the right dragons um, at the right time, really, and ensuring that the right animals are bred with each other. For anyone listening that might not be sure, there is a species coordinator for every breeding species within zoos and aquariums across the region. Uh, no, not necessarily. Not no, really. so it really is for the for the more, I guess, iconic or difficult to manage or difficult to source species. So, for example, there isn't for eastern grey kangaroos or brush-tailed possums yep. and, and even for some exotic animals too, like American alligator, there's not a, a, a managed program. There are for the more iconic animals that are difficult to breed and difficult to source. So lions, chimpanzees, tigers, uh, koalas, certainly, and um, and in my case, Komodo dragon. And there are different, different levels of management as well. So there's what's called a, a managed program, uh, at which point there's, there's, a re, there's a lower level of management for my role, and I can really only advise zoos or contacts to, to try and breed any of their males with any of their females for a certain number of offspring as the as the outcome. Or it increases to a, a, a population management program, which the Komodo dragon is. So that's the highest level of management in the country uh, working under Zaha. And it means that I can provide uh, breeding and transfer recommendations to contacts around the zoo, around the zoo industry. And I can suggest that they send male A to, you know, zoo b that has a different has a suitable female it, it uses a lot of uh software programs to decide which genetics are most suitable with who to to prevent inbreeding and um and yeah so again i feel really lucky and i'm still learning a lot from it um but i've had a lot of support from from loads of people within the country and, and even internationally too so there's a lot of help out there and i'm getting a lot of it yeah, wow, that's amazing. I actually didn't realise like the depth of the coordination and management plans. I guess the four species that I work with, there is those species coordination roles. So it's really interesting to learn a little bit more about it. Um, but going back quickly to Komodos, obviously me and Tess are marine birdie kind of gals. I get the hype with Komodo dragons. I have absolutely had the you know best pleasure of being able to see them in the wild, which is incredible. What is like your favourite fact though about Komodo dragons in case anyone's on the fence? Uh, can I narrow you down to just four favourite facts? Oh, 100%. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or five. I mean, we, we can't ignore that they're the world's <laughs> biggest lizard. Um, yeah. So that's really cool. World's biggest lizard. That's always going to be um, a bit of a title holder. Um, but also they're venomous. They are truly venomous. So people used to think that there are only two species of venomous lizard on the planet. Um, quite different to venomous snakes, but but with a true venom. Um, Komodo dragons are now in that in that um, group as well, as are a couple other varanids or monitor lizards. Uh, so that's another cool fact. 
Another one is their osteoderms. So that's a, a bit of a geeky way to say that they've got bony scales. The scales on their backs have these tiny little floating bones that act as armour so that when they're chewing on each other, they can sustain, you know, decent bites from huge dragons and not end up losing their limbs every time they come in contact with each other. And my other two um, are the fact that they are parthenogenic or can be parthenogenic, which means that and a female who's never, ever been in contact with a male can produce fertile offspring. So she can lay eggs having never been mated and those eggs will all hatch. So that's pretty cool. And lastly, very unknown, is the fact that they evolved in Australia. Komodo dragons, as we see today, evolved in Queensland. The fossil record shows that a long time ago they evolved in Queensland, so they're a homegrown hero. I did not um, know they that. Were then out, what? They were then outcompeted by an even bigger species called Megalania, which is a big sort of seven-metre lizard and one that I never want to come in, come in contact with. <laughs> the grin on your face I... just shows how much you love these dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally just about to say that. My favourite thing is like, well, like, tell us some facts, and you're like, ee, like, so that's like to tell us. Also, yeah, I will admit I wrote that question. I was a bit like, what's the hype with Komodos? Why does everyone love a Komodo? But uh, you can you... you can edit out two or three of those if you want. No, if, you if actually... being lengthy. <laughs> no, you put me over the line. I'm like, oh actually that's that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> like I can see why they're a cool lizard now. So you won this bird gal over. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we did mention before that we chatted at the ASZK conference um, back in August. You're actually the president of the ASZK and have been since 2019. You've been involved with ASZK since 2013, holding a number of different roles in the committee. Can you actually tell us or tell our listeners what the ASZK actually is and what your responsibility as your role of president entails? Yeah, so the ASZK, or the Australasian Society of Zookeeping, is a volunteer-based committee. Um, it's a not-for-profit where our main goals are for, for zookeeper development. It's for development of keepers within Australia and New Zealand and sort of right across some of the Pacific Islands as well. Um, that's That's the nuts and bolts of it. But on top of that too, we also provide funding for, um, for keeper grants, and um, fundraising for uh, conservation programs around the world. So every year we we target a a program that has been applied for through a bit of an application process. And once uh, it's selected, this year being the Fijian crested iguana, just another reptile, absolutely no bias <laughs> from the top. Then we we provide a real region wide fundraising campaign. So that's right across. Australia, New Zealand, and often there's a couple of zoos in Papua New Guinea that get around it as well. So it means that each year, varying, I think, through COVID, I think we struggle to rally people together and get some funds together. But generally, it's anywhere between ten dollars and $30,000 Australian that we can send to the recipient organisation. Um, this year, uh, we're still tallying up what we've got. So we don't yet have a total for the Fiji and crested iguanas, but it'll be streamed towards the International Iguana Foundation, which is actually a US-based organisation working with Fiji and crested iguanas um, in terms of habitat uh, redevelopment and planting feed plants and surveys uh, right across some of the Western islands in Fiji. So that's this year, but each year we, we uh, choose a different recipient and it means that I think as of last year, 
I think we nudged over $100,000 uh, collectively. So um, we're, we're pretty proud of that. And it's all done volunteer-based. We've got um, a really big committee at the moment of some really productive people from very diverse backgrounds. So right across Australia and New Zealand, um, we have keepers in you know private sector, government zoos. We have people working in with terrestrial fauna as well as aquarists. Uh, very happily. So we've got a really good coverage of the whole industry and it really is um, reaching keepers. So we put on a conference every year where we have keepers come and present. Um, I've seen Tess at a couple of those now presenting and um, as well as we put on specialist workshops as well. So we find out from our members what sort of skills they want to learn um, and and we just go and work out who the best people are to teach those skills and we put on a workshop and um, try and get, you know, everyone the sort of specialist training that they're after. And um, we have a quarterly journal, so we allow or we encourage um, members to produce papers, articles, presentations that we can share across industry peers and really sort of, find a new avenue for, again, keeper development within Australasia. Yeah, I mean, we're big advocates for the ASZK. Like, uh, I like that you're repping a shirt, by the way. Glad um, to hear it. There it is. There's yeah, a Komodo nice. on it too. Very nice. <laughs> of course. No, we love it. Like Daisy and I have said multiple times, we live for those conferences. It sounds kind of daggy, but it's I think about it all the time. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, next conference, um, you know, who's going to be presenting? What can I present? Like they're, they're awesome and they really do – um, promote that um, collaborative environment and that kind of stuff. So we love it. So you guys do a lot of good work. I also completely forgot that it was voluntary um, work. Like when I think about how much work would be involved in running those conferences or just running the ASZK, like hats off to you guys. That must be a lot of work plus your full-time zookeeping jobs too. So yeah, kudos. <laughs> yeah, no, and and absolutely, it's certainly not just me. Um, so we've currently yeah. got 19 committee members and everyone pulls their weight and everyone's um, doing a lot to pull it together. But you're right, it's it's aside from our full-time jobs. And um, so it's, it, it is a bit of a passion project too. And I suppose that would be the filter. If, if we weren't enjoying what we were doing, people would drop off pretty quickly and uh, we'd find replacements for the committee, but everyone maintains momentum and everyone is just as excited about pulling a conference together and attending a conference as members are too. So, um, you know, as you're saying, Tess, like when I went to my first conference in 2013, I was in no way affiliated. I came and presented, but I fell in love with the atmosphere and, and how um, everyone was just really supportive and and aside from the professional aspect to it as well, there's there's a real social aspect to it. And it's a great way to network with other keepers, particularly interstate or internationally. It's, you know, everyone's got friends at the zoo down the road, but if if that's the best avenue to to meet keepers from another state, um, then that's the best way to do it. And, and it keeps people in touch as well. So yeah, I, I'm certainly an advocate and I'm really cool to hit the West Coast next year. We're, we're heading to Perth Zoo in May, 2024. So I'll be there. And I think um, I think we'll, we'll have a decent contingency there next year too. Yeah, absolutely. And just adding on to what Tess said, like I presented at the conference back in May and that was absolutely been the highlight of my year. And as well as that, like the amount of people that came up to us afterwards and reached out for queries, for, you know, like 
wanting to help out with training and us being able to share our experiences and there's no you know no question in the fact that this industry comes with so much passion and being around that in a room for a week was you know just so incredible and so inspiring and where the whole podcast came about so maybe we should do oh, it yeah it's okay so thanks for inspiring the True. podcast <laughs> so me and Tess oh, like, no we have to do this <laughs> well yeah I, i'll um well let me spruik it straight back because before i got on here today i told a few people that i'm recording a podcast this evening and um, a lot of them came straight back saying and suggesting is it trainer talks and tales without me propping it. So obviously you've gained some huge traction and you're you're very well known and um, to hit well over twenty episodes now. I think I think it's just moving in in a great direction and um, keen to see where it keeps going too. So hats off to you two as well. Take that, Hamish and Andy. No, yeah. <laughs> Hamish and who? <laughs> Hamish Isn't it and Daisy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Chris, you have clearly done some pretty incredible stuff in your career and you've been to some really amazing places. Uh, like you spoke about the different workshops that the ASAK run, but you've also led a reptile and amphibian workshop in Sumatra. You've done rodent eradication, uh, species recovery programs for lizards, and obviously you're now helping out the Fijian crested iguana, which is amazing and has been led by Peter Harlow. Do you have a highlight? Like, is that possible when you've you know achieved so much in your time? I, I no, I don't think I do have a highlight. Like I think what you've summed up there is probably where I'm at. But the common trend that I find from working on Lord Howe Island and Christmas Island and Sumatra and Fiji is that I I like going to islands. I think I like yeah. um, <laughs> island ecology. I like. I mean, that sounds cliche. That sounds I don't need to sell it to anyone going to islands. But you know, I I, I really like the fact that a tiny little rock in the ocean can support its own little biodiversity and that's always appealed to me so even if it's even to the point of the plants and the insects and the ge- uh, geology I, I like going to an island and just seeing how far from the rest of the world it is and how different biogeographically it is so that'll keep dragging me to different islands around the world where where funds permit um but yeah I I don't know. I don't know if I've got a favourite. I, I keep going back to Christmas Island to help out the Parks Australia team with their species recovery for a couple of endemic lizards there that are now considered extinct in the wild. And I've really developed some strong friendships over there. And I really like the people that are like in the thick of working at frontline conservation and eradication of of invasives. So it's it, they're just you know, the right people to be around. Everyone wants to be there. Everyone's got their game face on and head screwed on right to be doing, you know, conservation work that if if they were just doing it for a, a job or just an income or just a nine to five, then they wouldn't be there. And, and um, yeah, I find that quite appealing, going to these places and meeting the people that I keep ending up meeting. I'm pretty stoked about it, actually. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds amazing. Uh, Unfortunately, I haven't had much opportunity to do a lot of field work, but I can imagine, especially out on islands, like you mentioned, it allows you to kind of be quite humble and realize there is such an intense, like you said, biodiversity ecosystems that are happening around us. And we're just such a small part in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because it's such a closed environment, being an island, it's you know, a varying varying size. I mean, Sumatra is no little island. Let's be yes, serious. Yes. But, <laughs> um, but I think having it as a closed environment, it it 
seems to be quite appealing and well manageable as well you know rodent eradication or invasive eradication becomes that little bit easier when it's a closed environment you know all your parameters are measured out so it's i find that appealing as well it seems manageable and tangible um to to really hit some success in some of those as well well on that do you have any recommendations for our listeners who would like like to get involved in these kind of um programs yeah absolutely so if um i mean for for listeners that are already working within the animal care industry chat to chat to your supervisors chat to your managers but also um not to spruik ask too much but we do present opportunities do where <laughs> we we do provide opportunities to to keepers you know through through grant funding or through networking where we can put people in touch with maybe PhD students that have a field aspect to their study so we can put people in touch with opportunities but the other avenue as well for for those working in the zoo industry um is zar the zoo and aquarium association of australia they they're the ones who manage all the uh species coordinator roles and and uh stud book keeping roles so Occasionally there are vacancies and they do workshops as well as to how to run a program and what's required in those roles. So so they're another really good resource as well. The people at Zara are super friendly, very happy to chat and and um and you know, certainly worth hitting up, not necessarily for field opportunities, but for zookeeping roles that um you know, might might delve into population management. No, I think that's good advice. Um, that makes sense to use those connections with Zara and ASAK. I was just going to say, I can imagine a lot of people don't actually realise those resources are just so readily available too. So it's great that you've um, raised awareness about those and hopefully people can reach out and expand their knowledge if they want to. Yeah, definitely. There's opportunity out there. And um, even if it's something that's not presented to you as an opportunity, but you know, if there was a course that you wanted to do or uh you know a field research program that your boss isn't aware of what's the harm in in bringing it up and just chatting to them and saying how it might help you the animals that you care for at work but also your workplace as well why not say you know there's a there's a course i can do to improve my captive husbandry of whatever it might be and you know the the answer at worst it's only going to be no True. And then you can just try again the following year and just keep hassling your bosses yeah. and, and <laughs> see see um, if you can if you can push them over. One day they'll say yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, as always, we finish off our app with a few questions from our listeners, and we do have two for you today. Yes, we do. All right. So question number one, you have kind of slightly answered when we spoke about species coordination earlier, but was there something in particular that really appealed to you about that role? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's really cool seeing the program sort of gain a bit of traction and the the contacts you sort of make through within Australasia and internationally too. I think it's really cool seeing everyone sort of fighting for the for the same outcome for, you know, for the case of Komodo dragons, it's it's people trying to improve welfare and and improve uh the sustainability within zoos in Australia and you know as part of that we put on a, a workshop a couple of years ago to to fly in some sort of big keynote speakers from Komodo dragons and large monitor lizards internationally and we we had a really good attendance actually it was quite humbling to see that many people 
sort of congregate in the middle of the country in Alice Springs to come together to talk about giant lizards. And it just sounds so, um, I don't know, it, it sounds like, you know, not not something that everyone would sort of be wanting to get around. But because <laughs> because we had like the right people there and, and a really good program for the workshop, it was, yeah, it's just really humbling to see that many people come together and really sort of question what we're doing in the country and, and how we can do better and what the future might look like for dragons. And and since then, um, one of the zoos in, in Australia cracked the first um, captive breeding of the species uh, within Australia ever. So that only occurred in, uh, what's today, 2023? That started in last last year, 2022. Uh, the Australian Reptile Park. I, I um I am very pleased to say that they cracked the first captive breeding of the species ever. So up until that point, everything had been imported. Um, and we spoke before about how expensive and logistically challenging that is before. So for that to start gaining some traction here within the country, it's um yeah, it's it's really quite validating to see that people gained a lot from the workshop and took it back to their institutions and and really achieved some really cool milestones out of it so that's what I enjoy out of it yeah for sure you're really selling it actually I hadn't really yeah. like Daisy said before I hadn't really thought about species coordination that much or what it entailed so um it's eye-opening that's for sure that's cool yeah um, for sure. now we have one more question, which I'm going to reword a bit. It was, do you prefer field work or working in zoos? But I'm going to say, do you prefer being an island boy um, or working in the zoo? <laughs> I mean, island boy comes with cocktails, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, think, I mean, I, I really think I've oversold it. I think I've made myself sound super <laughs> intrepid and exotic, but that's that's not the case. <laughs> I, I, um, I've just been pretty fortunate, I think, but... I would definitely have to say working in islands. I, I'll be doing a lot more of that where I can. Um, and there's exactly. plenty of them around the world and each have their own little challenges and their own little issues. So where where I can make it happen, I'm going to. <laughs> Watch this space. I don't blame you. It sounds pretty incredible and like such an impactful role that you're having as well and all those species. Yeah, well, it's sure. just, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool, um, as I said before, just meeting the people that are in charge of those programs and, seeing how nerdily excited they get at little wins. It's, it's, um, it's good news. Nothing wrong with being nerdy. <laughs> 100%. Sign me up. <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun chat. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed learning a little bit more about reptiles and um, species coordination and all that stuff, but also just spruik in the ASZK. We love it. So um, we want our listeners to feel the same. But, yeah, thanks again so much for joining us. Oh, very cool. Thanks so much, Tess and Days. It's it's um it's been a lot of fun. It's been, yeah, really fun. So hopefully we'll do <laughs> some more of this and I'll see you guys over in Perth next year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Good. Thanks again, Chris. We appreciate your time. Cool. Thank you. See ya. Oh, Tess, I loved that chat and I appreciate we say that every single week, but we have such a good group of guests that come on. It's hard to not love those conversations. Um, and we actually did speak to Chris as well, and he reached out and let us know that we can let all of you know that the upcoming ASZK, well, wow, ASZK conference for 2024 <laughs> is going to be at Perth Zoo in Western Australia, and that is going to be hosted from the 24th of May through to the 26th of May. 
Now, the theme for this year is quite exciting. I quite like the idea of this one. It is the evolving role of zookeepers in a changing world. So that means that they're going to be highlighting a focus on the importance of the animal care industry in the context of climate change challenges. Now, if you guys are looking for a little bit more information on that, all the conference info, registration details, et cetera, will be released early in 2024, and they'll be found across the website and their Facebook and Instagram pages. So keep an eye out for more information coming soon. Yeah, and we're big advocates for those conferences, as you guys know. I don't know if you've you know, heard, but we've mentioned them a few <laughs> times. So, um, yeah, we would absolutely encourage everyone to, to get involved with that. Um, but we're going to wrap it up with there, guys. So thank you so much again for joining us. We've loved every single episode. We've loved all your support. And uh, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> Bye. See you next year. Bye. Bye.